and welcome to episode number 208 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined this week, no longer solo for me, guys. I'm done with all of that nonsense. Last week, I had me a whole crew this week. I've got me Steven Anders. You can follow him on Twitter at Steven Anders one You can follow me at MattBrownM2. Of course, let's get some business out of the way here. We have a popping off Discord channel. We got everything. We're talking all the sports over there. We're doing free giveaways for all kinds of things as well. Go to the homepage, upper right-hand corner. You'll see the little Discord logo. Click on it. Come join. Come talk. Come chat. Every single day we're in there talking baseball. We're talking golf. We're giving away money. I mean, seriously, giving away money, absolutely free money. So, Stephen, I think this is one of the, the things here. Obviously, we want you to listen to the podcast. Obviously, we want you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. But outside of those two things, I think joining the Discord could be one of the more important things that you do if you really do want to try and become a, a better better, or at least just get some ideas from some people who are betting on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there this we're recording this Wednesday, April 13th and just popped something in there this morning for our Discord followers about some uh some NFL draft smoke that could potentially be a betting value. We have people talking with our senior writer Mo Nawara about MLB bets on a daily basis right now. So, it's a lot of fun and of course we're talking golf a lot each and every week in that Discord as well. If you're listening to us audio here, of course, subscribe, rate, review, do appreciate that. If you're watching us over on the YouTube, just hit the subscribe button. We do appreciate that as well. All right. So uh, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs here. We're going to talk some NFL draft, but let's kick things off here with the quick review of the Masters and then a quick look at the RBC. Uh, Steven. I look, it's not a victory lap for me or for Brett or for any of these people who pick Scotty Scheffler. He's the number one player in the world. He is at this point has won four of the last six tournaments he's teed it up at. That being said, if you were, if you listened to the podcast last week, if you were part of the discord, if you're part of all that, you would have been able to get on him as well. You would have been able to make some money. So hopefully you did do all of that. I guess my question to you from a betting standpoint here is listen for about the eight, for about the last 18 months, Every single tournament that John Rahm tees it up, he is the betting favorite. John Rahm does not win at a very high rate. And John Rahm is not Tiger of the heyday. And so when we keep seeing these Rahm odds at eight to one, eight and a half to one, nine to one, in what might be the strongest field of golf we've ever seen in the history of the sport on a, at any given tournament, there are 25 guys who have a very legitimate chance of going out there and winning a tournament. This is not like, again, this is not like the days of old where if Tiger didn't win, then Phil won. And that was just about it. Right. I mean, that is just not what we have right now. And so I, my question to you is, are we going to see these raw mods drift back into reality? Like where, you know, we're not looking at this ridiculous eight and a half, nine, 10 to one. It should be more in the 13, 14 range for Rom. And I think that, you know, if you look at, at what he does from a win equity standpoint, I think those would be fair odds. Uh, do you think we're going to get there? Or do you think we're still just going to see these ridiculous odds on Rom that make him unbettable? I was checking some of the the futures for the other three majors the rest of the year, and I think we're we're not quite there yet. Like we're seeing mm-hmm. co favorites with John Rahm, with like Colin Morikawa and Scotty mm-hmm. Scheffler. Who you know, it was interesting. We talked in our in our Slack the day Sunday of the Masters, and 
And I was like, why is Scotty Scheffler still behind like nine guys on this list? It doesn't make any sense. And lo and behold, a couple hours later, he was a co-favorite with John Rahm, Colin Morikawa mm-hmm. up there, depending on which major you're looking at. So um, I don't think we're there yet, but he's going to be, I think he is moving from clear top of the board favorite to just among the rest of the guys in that top tier, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. Uh, look, for me, I... I Look, I think Rom, I still think he's phenomenal. I understand that the results from from a, you know, win equity standpoint haven't really been there for a while. Um, but that being said, I just can't bet until these odds get, you know, again, like I said, 13, 14 ish, something like that. I don't think you're going to see me with a Rom ticket for quite a while, because, again, I don't know. I don't think there's any golfer in any given tournament that has as many of these guys that are teeing it up each and every week, these big name guys. I don't think anybody can be 10 to one, Stephen. I I mean, and that includes Scotty Scheffler, who's won four of the last six tournaments, because again, he's still teeing it up with Cam Smith and Colin Morikawa and Justin Thomas and John Rahm and all of these guys like you're talking about. We still haven't seen a healthy Bryson DeChambeau in a long time. He's going to work towards health. He'll be back at some point. There's just all of these. I mean, look, Will Zalatoris is making a move. Joaquin Neiman, even though he faded at the Masters, seems like he, as a very, at a very young age, is starting to put together consistency on a week-to-week basis. Basis. I mean, it's there's just no way any of these guys can be 10, 11, 12. It's just it's just no way. I I agree with you. Ninety nine percent. I think I'm leaving a one percent for Scotty Scheffler, who is doing things that we haven't seen since Tiger Woods in my mind. I mean, to win yeah. four of the past six events, including a WGC and a major. I think um, the PGA Tour put out a stat that, you know, basically Tiger Woods and I think maybe one other person were the only ones that had done that for an entire PGA tour season to win four events, a WG, including a WGC and a major and Scotty's done it before mid April. So, I mean, this is tiger shit, man. So, you know, I'm, I'm leaving that possibility open that we are seeing something special here and it's an outlier performer. Um, especially at these really tough courses where, you know, he basically dusted the field at the Masters minus like a, a four putt on the 72nd hole that didn't mean shit. So yeah. I think, you know, there's there's at least a possibility that we're seeing something generational here with Scotty. But obviously, that's still a very small percentage. If if that is the case, we're, we're not talking about a guy at nine or ten to one like John Rahm, who doesn't have as much win yeah. equity. We're talking about a guy at nine or ten to one that is actually winning tournaments and yeah. does have the full package and isn't struggling with the putter. So that's a different conversation in my mind. So I'm at least leaving the possibility of that. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that John Rom from three years ago as well, where he hits a couple of bad shots and has a bad hole. And, he seems and that temper, irritated, right? Yeah, that that temper is starting to come back out again, and you know that that was a thing that he always he talked about that was holding him back. A lot of the guys that are you know do this for a living that are you know living breathing golf commentaries stuff like that. They said they were talking to people who said that was kind of holding him back. Maybe it's just a rough patch for him. Maybe he'll get it back together. But it was something that I saw over the last couple of tournaments that hadn't seen from Rom yeah, me too. in a while. So it'll be interesting for us to follow that as well. I think if the Masters showed us anything, we'll talk about RBC here in just a second, but I think if the Masters showed us anything, it's that betting in tournament is still very exploitable oh, and it's yes. still very, very, very 
very profitable because you were going and getting Scotty Scheffler at still at plus money when he's up five strokes. The guy's the number one player in the world. He is, like you said, basically dusted the field and you were heading into a five stroke lead and you were still getting plus money on this guy. Listen, I understand that it's not as sexy as holding the 20 to one ticket. I get it. I, it's not as sexy as holding the, the big double digit or triple digit ticket. And everyone wants to brag about hitting these super long outrights in these tournaments, but if you're taking a plus 130 dog in baseball, for example, or a plus 130 dog in basketball and you win, you're feeling great about that. You feel awesome whenever you hit a plus 130 dog. You are getting plus 130 on the number one player in the world with a five-stroke lead heading into the final day of the tournament. And I was screaming at a mountaintop to my friends who you know live in Louisiana, a new betting state and stuff. And I'm like, if you guys didn't get on Scotty, Get on Scotty now. You're still getting plus money to do it. Like, this is insanity. And everybody, like, you know, everyone wants that fancy ticket, Stephen. And if I could just preach anything to everybody out there, it's like getting plus money, getting plus 130 on any winning bet is awesome. And you should be, and that was a gift by these sports books on Sunday. And I hope people took advantage of that. I think it was just a couple of weeks ago where I want to say it was, Tell me if I'm wrong here, but like Daniel Berger had like a five shot lead at the Honda Classic or something and he melted down or whatever. But but when he had the same lead and granted, it's not as big of a field, it's not a major, but the same lead after 54 holes. And he was like minus 200, minus right. 300. And you're getting Scotty Scheffler, <laughs> who's dusting the field at plus 100, yeah, you know, yeah. or plus 110. So I, I agree with you. The other thing that I took away from it and and is the placement market, right? That We talked mm-hmm. about this in the Masters podcast, but it came to fruition yet again. Rory McIlroy has a terrible Thursday yet again, comes roaring back. And, you know, I added him, I think, somewhere between plus 200 and plus 300 after the first round to finish top mm-hmm. 10 winds up finishing second place I think same thing with Colin Morikawa I think I added him between plus 200 and plus 300 after the first round skyrockets up the board after mm-hmm. one round of a major is not the end all be all the creams ten the cream tends to rise to the top in these in these majors where the conditions are difficult and the best all around players have more time and more holes to catch up. So keep that in mind for future majors. And the other thing that really came to fruition in the masters that won't happen every week is when conditions change and when Mm -hmm. pin placements change rounds two and three were brutal at Augusta. The wind was howling. The, The members put difficult pins out there Sunday, completely different. The forecast called for lower winds The Masters uh, members always like to have easier pins on Sunday for some fireworks, and the books did not adjust. There were basically the same uh, opening round scores for over-unders for round four. There were um, over-unders on birdies that were not adjusted for the easier conditions, and sure enough, I went seven and zero on the birdies, and you know a little bit better than sixty percent on the on the player scores for round four because the books didn't adjust. So that's something to keep in mind as well for these future tournaments if it winds up windy a couple of days and then not windy the next. 
So let's talk the RBC Heritage here. Technically, this is an invitational tournament, so it's only going to be 132 runners instead of your typical kind of 156 runners that we see at tournaments. That said, it sticks with the it does stick with the 65 and ties, however, so you're going to get half the field make the cut in this. So keep this in mind, specifically if you're playing DFS, but like keep that in mind if you're if you're betting as well, that half the field is going to make the cut in this tournament. It's a shorter course. It is smaller greens than typical. It is not going to be like we saw at the Masters last week of the fairways. Listen, you, you can hit the fairways at the Masters, right? Like there, there is not going to be like that with this tournament. You don't have to be long where we emphasized last week that being long was something that we were certainly looking at with the golfers we were targeting. You don't have to be long this week at this tournament. You can look at the past history to show just how much you don't need to be long in order to have success here at this one. And so, you know, looking here, Stephen, it was it's a completely different type of golfer that I was kind of looking at this week than than what I was looking at last week to the point where driving distance wasn't even a factor for me in the least bit. Like I don't care at all about driving distance, whereas driving distance was, you know, a fifth of my model last week. It is not even in there this week. What were you looking at as far as the golfers you're targeting? Yeah, basically replaced the driving distance with some fairways gained, although mm-hmm. I looked as well at a second model where I didn't even put a large emphasis. I say large, like 10 to 15 percent on the first mm-hmm. model and then less than 10 percent on the second model for fairways gained because our golf writer, John Hassebauer, made a good point as well that, um, you know, A lot of those fairways gain stats are mostly with driver in hand, where a lot of these guys this week are going to be taking less than driver off the tee, which is going to give them an even bigger chance of hitting fairways this week as well. So um, I'm not even sure how much that stat matters as much this week. So for me, it's all about approach. These are some of the smallest greens on tour all year. Um, So we want elite ball strikers. And then when they miss these smallest greens on tour all year, they can get up and down from around the green. So um, strokes gained around the green, scrambling, sand saves, that type of stuff is, is what I'm looking for. And uh, sure enough, there were some short hitters that that started to drift up the up the rankings this week. Yeah, definitely for me when I didn't really care all that much about about any of that. And listen, yes, we have seen some bombs win here in the past, Stephen. And so I'm sure it's going to make some people really want to, you know, put some of these super long shots. And listen, I have a couple in the account. That being said, we did get 11 of the top 20 golfers in the world in this one this week. And so typically, typically not as strong of a field as we got this year. And so we got 11 of the top 20 here with some guys that maybe outside of that top 20 that are rounding into form just a little bit. So I do at least want to say this isn't one of those slam dunk, like, okay, let's bet all, you know, 8,500, 125, to one type guys. I think that there are, you know, I, I, I'm not going to probably bet any of the short, short shots here. That being said, I don't think it's the worst thing in the entire world. I don't think we can just grip onto what we've seen kind of in, in the past here. No, I'm with you. I have a my betting card this week, which I posted in our staff bets channel on Discord, mm-hmm. um, is a pretty decent mix of guys that are in that twenty to thirty to one range, and then you have a, a handful of guys in that fifty to seventy range, um, and then a couple of bombs that are like you know 
I even have a guy that's 400 to one this week. He's dipped to 300 to one, Adam mm-hmm. Svensson. But um, I couldn't ignore throwing at least some lunch money on 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 Luke Donald at 300 to one and Adam Svensson at 400 to one, because the last time guys with odds that long wound up in the top 15 of the model, uh, a guy named Hudson Swafford won a go- golf tournament earlier this year, and I didn't have a ticket mm-hmm. on him. So I'm not making that mistake again <laughs> in the off I, chance I, that one of these guys wind up hitting. Don't don't blame you in, in the least bit. I mean, this is this is one of those deals where, you know, I, I do the same thing that you're you're talking about, man. Like I'm just sitting here where I go, okay, if a guy is just absolutely destroying my model, then that's something I've got to, you know, I've got to pay attention to. For sure. Now, if we look at the top of the board, it's it's Justin Thomas, it's Colin Morikawa, it's Cam Smith, it's Patrick Cantlay, it's Dustin Johnson. All these guys are sub 20 to one to win the tournament. You would imagine that would be the case whenever you're talking about guys as good as that in a, you know, in a tournament kind of like this. You do get to the 20 to one range once you get to a Daniel Berger, Russell Henley, Corey Connors, Webb Simpson gets into that 30 ish range. Tyrrell Hatton, Sung J.M., Billy Horschel, Joaquin Neiman. Again, so you can see where I'm going with the, There are some names in this tournament. Jordan Spieth is playing. Kevin Kisner is playing. So th- there are some definite names in this tournament to where it's not one of those deals where, um, you know, you have to just just play a bomb here because there's, you know, nobody playing in it. So uh, that did affect me just a little bit anyway. Let's start with you. Where did your card kind of start to take shape here and and what are your what are your outrights you have in the account? Um, my my model agreed with what John Hasselbauer's did as well. His betting card is also on the site right now for those interested. Uh, Daniel Berger, um, mm-hmm. I think I locked him in at twenty eight to one. I think he popped thirty to one at a couple of spots this week. I don't know if that number's still there, but clearly the top player across the the stats I put in this week. Um, really only one stat where he isn't in the, in the top 30 out of the 10 stats I used. So just, just an elite ball striker in this field over the past 50 rounds. In fact, he's ranked number one in strokes gained on approach over that span. Number two in strokes gained on approach over his last 36 holes and just pretty strong over his last, uh, 50 rounds at the yardages that we care about on approach at this course, the three different, um, kind of breakdowns of 125 to 150, 150 to 175, and 175 to 200. Really, no holes in his iron game from those uh, from those parameters. So, um, and on top of that, he's really good around the greens as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that's where the card started. I did. I, I I I will admit I don't like the number on Shane Lowry. It's short. It's shorter than I typically like to play him, but. Um, just again, another situation where I'm going to be mad at myself if I don't have him on my card this week when he literally ranks in the top three for me across the board. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think the, the shortest guy that is going to make the card for me, I really do like burger a lot. There's no doubt about that. I am just weirdly, my model loves him. I personally am just weirdly attracted to Corey Connors this week. I mean, a guy that, you know, again, doesn't have to be long coming in in good form has everything kind of that I'm looking for in this one. Um, where I really wanted to be was Matt Fitzpatrick. He's a guy that just kind of lit up my model here, but it's just the, the odds are so short on Fitzpatrick 
it's just hard for me on a Matt Fitzpatrick to pull the trigger at like 18, 19, 20 to one. And, and Steven, I know it, it's, I should trust the numbers and I should trust what I'm looking at all the time. But sometimes if that doesn't add up with what I feel like I should be getting on a golfer, especially from an outright and a win equity standpoint, I love Fitzpatrick. I'm going to end up playing him in placement markets. I just can't pull the trigger on a guy like him at, you know, in that 18, 19 range. Yeah. I'm curious where, we're differing here on Fitzpatrick because I know that's a guy that's gotten a lot of talk on golf Twitter for this tournament this week. Um, but I'm with you. I didn't bet him and he didn't wind up in the top 20 of my model this week. I'm curious where he wound up for you and what stats in particular he's popping for you. So I kind of did some, so I kind of did some messing around with the model, right? Because Mm -hmm. here's the problem. Here's the problem with Fitzpatrick. If you put in, proximity if you put in proximity numbers it's going to crash him in all of all versions of your model like his proximity numbers are terrible right and so if you remove proximity and then you kind of start coming at it from a different angle then you can start to see where he does excel and where he is actually starting to where he is actually starting to to pop a little bit here and there. Also, I did go with a little bit of course history here. It is one of the the tournaments where a lot of these guys continue to kind of come back and he has had some really good success here and so there's a little bit of there's a little bit of stuff going on with my model and a little bit of subjectivity for me as well in in this one and so um that's kind of how I ended up on Fitzpatrick in that whole in that whole deal. I mean, we got a T4, a T14, a T39 and a T14 in his last four starts here. So uh 3 T14 or betters in his last four starts and you know, when you you have something like that for me also a little tough to ignore. Yeah, there's one other guy I want to mention. I, I won't mm-hmm. give my whole betting card. You can you guys can go to the Discord to get that, mm-hmm. but there's one interesting storyline here with uh Joaquin Neiman. To me, um, mm-hmm. he is a guy, if I filtered for short courses and took away a little bit of fairways gained in in the weighting of the model, he started to rise. And I think uh-huh. there's two reasons for that. I think it's because he is good with less than driver off of the tee, which he can get away with at this course. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's because this is a, a course and a situation that he really likes. Uh, John Hasselbauer actually got a, a, a birthday message as a gift from Joaquin Neiman one year. And in that message, he responded with his favorite course on the PGA Tour as being Hilton Head, as being this course, Harbortown Golf Links. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's uh, that's narrative. But in terms of the numbers, um, there's there's reason to like him, even though the overall off the tee fairway numbers don't like him as much as these other guys. But it's not the same situation as we talked about where he's taken driver on all off the tee on a lot of these holes. It's, he's going to be a lot more accurate on this course than he would be others off the tee. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I like him a lot as well. We'll probably have some sort of something on him. Like we'll probably have some sort of, um, some sort of ticket yeah, about, on him one way or another. 20, how about at least top 20 on Neiman with odds that are basically the same to top 20 this week as they were at the masters last week. Cause that don't make any sense to me. Yeah, you know a guy that I think I'm just there's no way I'm going to be able to get rid of and and I typically don't like to bet Shane Lowry, but 
Shane Lowry is one or two in every version of the model that I ran. Yep. He is in this field over the last 36 rounds. He is sixth in the field in strokes gain total. He's 15th in tee to green. He's 15th in ball striking. He's third in approach. He's, uh, you know, he's a, even if you go to the stuff that I don't really care about in putting, he's 43rd in putting. Um, his his uh, short game is 34th. I mean, like everything about Lowry outside of off the tee is is really really great and we just mentioned we're not really worried all that much about off the tee this week we just kind of want a guy who can get it down there keep it out of the keep it out of the long 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 stuff if he's in the first cut I don't really matter all of that so um, Shane Lowry is going to make the card I think Tom Hoagie is going to make the card as well another guy that just really ranks well throughout the course of my model he's kind of a longer shot guy that I think I'm going to have to have tickets on in this thing. And then finally, Steven, I am targeting these guys whose strength is the driver. I'm targeting head to heads against them. So mm-hmm. I'm going in and looking for the, the Cameron Youngs of the world, the different things like, like all these guys whose big time strength is the driver where a course that doesn't, you don't need driver as strength. And I'm looking to really play against those guys in head to head. So if you go guys, if you, if you don't have any of these sites that, that you can model on or something, you can just go to PGA tour.com. You can look at who's leading and driving distance and where they're getting, you know, the, the, the biggest amount of help from the driver. You can filter through those guys and you can kind of see who maybe some targets kind of start to show up. And, and really, and truly that is, that is one of the, the main guys that I'm trying to find head to heads against as well. Plus I think Steven, and this is just subjective, but, Started out real hot, you know, a guy that moved up from the Corn Ferry Tour, starting to struggle a little bit now. Maybe it's, I don't, you know, moving to the PGAs, catching up with him just a tad. So also that kind of factors into wanting to to go after him as well. Yeah. And if you look at his results, he had a top 20 at the Farmers. He had a, you know, a T2 at the Genesis, a T16 at the Honda, those are courses where distance mm-hmm. really helps you. Right. And, yeah. and to your point, I'm, I'm literally on his profile page on, on the PGA tours website and you click on performance tells you that he's fifth on tour this year off the tee and strokes gained, but 117th on approach. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you're saying. The kind of guy you want to target against in head to heads this week, where there is no advantage for distance off the tee. Yes. And guys, again, for the full card, head over to the discord. We'll post all of those in there as well. But again, those are some of the guys that we're on, some of the guys that we're targeting and uh, be sure and get everyone's full thoughts over there on the lines. You can see John's full betting card. And then if you head to the discord, you can get our betting card as well. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 5 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit here about the NBA. The play-in started on Tuesday night. It continues on Wednesday. Of course, we have the teams that we know are already locked into the playoffs set up as well. Steven, what are you looking for? What have you bet? What are something? What are some things that you are trying to decipher as we move forward here in the NBA playoffs? Western Conference equation is pretty easy for me. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's the Suns and everybody else. Because they're kind of good. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not bad. That those Phoenix Suns. <laughs> uh, I, I have a you know, full disclosure. I have a futures ticket on the Suns, and I actually locked in uh, a promo that was, I'll use the word interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. After the All Star break at DraftKings, they let you bet a hundred dollars on an NBA futures, and they'll give you five dollars for every win they have after the All Star break. So, I was like, all right. I'm going to take the team that's going to win a, a lot of games after the All-Star break. So I got the Suns at plus 525. They are now shorter than three to one. And I got an $80 free bet out of it. So awesome. That works. Yeah. So when we talk about like looking for these promos and stuff at, at all these different legal sports books, that's a fantastic one to look for and things like that. So futures where you can also get free bets where basically um, even if the Suns don't win the NBA finals, I have another $80 free bet to try and you know make a profit off of that bet. So uh, but for those that aren't invested yet, not interested in anybody other than the Suns uh, in the Western Conference. In fact, I think at plus 100, I would still make a bet on the Suns to win the West. Um, not worried about the Clippers in the first round. Stephen Curry's banged up for the Warriors. Luka Doncic just banged up for the Mavericks. Memphis has never been there before. Uh, you know, Murray's not coming back for Denver. So it's it really looks like it's opened up for them. On the Eastern Conference side is where it's interesting to me. And Matt, I don't know if you remember, but last year you and I had a discussion about whether I should bet the Atlanta Hawks to maybe get to the Eastern Conference Finals mm-hmm. because that side of the bracket was really easy compared to the other side of the Eastern Conference bracket. Well, that to me appears to be the case again, not with the Hawks, obviously, but yeah. if you look at the futures odds, you have the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Nets at the top of the East futures odds. They're all on the same side of the bracket where Miami's sitting there on the opposite side of the bracket, going to have a really easy first round matchup and maybe not even have to play Philadelphia in the second round as there's a lot of juice and steam and maybe even support from you. I think I've heard uh, on the Raptors possibly upsetting mm-hmm. the Sixers. And even if it is the Sixers there, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. My heart breaks for the 76ers and Joel Embiid because he's not getting any help. They're a mess. They can't defend anybody. James Harden looks like a shell of himself. Matisse Thibel can't play in Toronto. So I love the idea of maybe putting, you know, a few extra units on the Miami Heat to win the Eastern Conference. I'm very confident they'll get to the final leg of that futures bet. And then I can decide at that point based on the opponent Mm -hmm. if I want to hedge and if so, how much. Yeah, I am. You're right. The only bet I have in the account, I do have the Raptors series price over the 76ers and mainly because the price had drifted up one of the shops here in town to plus 165 on this Raptors team. And as you mentioned, Thibel not being able to play up in Toronto. So games three and four are going to be without a guy that's been playing over 25 minutes a game for you. And I know people are going to look at the stats and say, like, the dude only gets six points a game. Oh, that's he not only gets, 
He only get he is out there to defend. He is yep. uh, he is he is out there that and, and not having him on the court for those 25 plus minutes a game in those two games could be enough to swing a series. And plus, like you mentioned, how inconsistent James Harden has been is another thing that has me on this Raptors team strictly because if Harden, if you got 90 percentile Harden every night, then it, this would be a whitewash and I'd be all over the Sixers. But we have not gotten 90 percentile Harden except for a handful of games since he's come over to Philadelphia. And so I am, uh, I am, I'm all over the, I'm all over them here. And I really do like, uh, I really do like at that price, right? I mean, if this was, if this was a pick on either side, I'm not playing the, the Raptors, but to get that big plus money in that series, I am in fact, on them. So I do like that bet. And hopefully, uh, hopefully again, um, you know, that that helps and works out for you from your Miami standpoint as well. Let's talk some NFL draft. We had an awesome NFL draft last year, made a ton of money. That's not going to be the case this year. I can already tell you because I'm not going to bet a ton of money into this draft. Um, there is, there are far too many teams with multiple picks in order for us to be able to really hone down how they're going to go and what their strategy is going to be. And Steven, that's the biggest thing for me as I've really de- dove into this and tried to figure out where I want to put my money, what I want to do with everything. And I just have not been able to get to a point where I feel comfortable, you know, with a, a ton of positions. And, you know, I had a ton of positions by this time last year, but with all these teams with multiple picks, it does two different things. One, it gives them the option of which direction they want to go with which pick. If a guy is a toss up at a position and some guy they think might be gone, they might choose to take the other guy and then wait on another guy for their second pick later on in that round. And that messes the whole draft all up. And then also, as we've already seen once already in the draft with the Eagles, these teams with multiple picks might decide, you know what? I'd rather have a pick next year. I'll trade this pick to to get uh, another pick for next year or multiple picks or maybe additional picks later on in the draft, whatever it might be. And it really does open the door for a lot of shenanigans to happen in the first round as well. And so, you know, look where I've got what I'm on right now, guys, and these I do feel at least somewhat comfortable with. Some of these, you got to lay a lot of juice. And I know that's not for everyone's bankroll. If you have the bankroll, I feel confident in these picks, but um, I have over two and a half quarterbacks going in the draft. I think it is a, I think it's a sure thing that Pickett and Willis are going. And I just don't think again, with all these teams with multiple picks, they can have the luxury of either taking a quarterback or they have the luxury of trading that pick to a team who wants a quarterback. And so I have over two and a half quarterbacks. I have Hutchinson as the first pick at minus 250. I understand that's a lot of juice. Um, I took Stingley as first quarterback taken. That is a nearly three to one thing. I understand Sauce Gardner is the guy that everyone's saying. I'm just thinking that there is a chance that someone could fall in love with that freshman tape from Stingley. He crushed Pro Day, ran a 4-3-7, all of that. So um, I took the nearly three to one on him to be the first corner taken. I took over five and a half wide receivers. It's a passing league. Five and a half wide receivers are going five, to five, five are going for sure. And I believe six or seven could end up going when it's all said and done. The under half a running back this year, there's just no way, I don't think. I, I just don't think anyone's reaching this year for a running back. I have Chris Olave going in the first round. DraftKings posted a market 
where it's just to to be drafted in the first 32 picks. So basically just to go in the first round. They have some guys listed that are 100% going in the first round. Now you got to lay some juice on these things. And if you got the bankroll, this is like, I'm not going to call it free money because weird, weird, weird things can happen. But Chris Olave's over under is 17 and a half. And he's listed as and he's listed in this in this betting market of whether you can pick him to go in the first 32 picks or not. So um, and I also took Desmond Ritter to go in the first round as well. And Steven, that's all I've got in the account right now, man. Like I, I, I probably had 20 bets this time last year that I just got a handful right now. To your point about the uncertainty this year versus last year, you mentioned teams with multiple picks. I also think it starts at the top of the draft and the fact that we have we don't know who the number one picks going to be. Now, I know that Aiden Hutchinson, as we record this, is anywhere between minus 250, minus 300 to be the first pick. But Brett Gibbons on the lines.com broke down very nicely why there's growing speculation about Trayvon Walker. And Lance Zerline has a guy that he trusts as his source over multiple years of giving him accurate information for the draft that has told him that Trayvon Walker could be the guy based on, you know, Trent Balky's past tendency to take the athletic freak project versus the higher floor polished uh, college production in Aiden Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the curveball is that now multiple talking heads and media personalities in the NFL are starting to parrot the same things that Lance Zerline was told. So now he's not sure if it's just trade bait and the Jaguars are trying to get somebody to have an itchy trigger finger and move up to Mm -hmm. get uh, Trayvon Walker, if they're in love with him. So with that being said, if that is actually the case and they pull that off, it still means Trayvon Walker would be the number one pick. And he's sitting around at, you know, plus 275 all the way up to plus 350 as we record this. So um, that's an interesting angle with the number one pick. But to your point, that creates a domino effect depending on which player it is at the top of the draft and a lot mm. of uncertainty. Whereas last year we knew the first three picks were going to be quarterbacks and it made it a lot easier to start diagnosing some of these other picks in the top 10. Also in terms of who's the first player going to be taken at each position group based on the players that are left or the teams that are left in the top 10. So a lot of uncertainty based on these, these reports, it might be a smoke screen for a trade and they're going to take Hutchinson all along. Uh, but I did dabble a half a unit on Trayvon Walker to be the number one pick Mm -hmm. just in the hopes that potentially this gets even more steam and uh, Hutchinson comes down to plus money and I'm in a situation where I could bet on both of them and and maybe have a profit no matter what. Uh, It hasn't happened yet, but we'll see if it happens. The other side, the other bet, um, there's some interesting developments in the wide receiver market, I think. Um, Again, it's the NFL draft. It could be a smokescreen. But I feel like in recent years, Matt, we're seeing more front offices start to kind of what I like to call take an NBA approach where they're looking more at the upside and the, you know, as as some old NFL coaches like to say, the ball of clay and what Mm -hmm. they could turn that into, Um, even though the production may not have been there in college, but the the traits are there and the tools are there athletically for them to be even better in the pros than they were in college. We've seen that with, you know, I think uh, Owe was a good example of that. Adolfi Owe uh, from last year. So in the wide receiver market, Jamison Williams mm-hmm. coming off that ACL, he probably isn't going to be able to play till halfway through the year. 
But in NFL circles, it seems that on tape, he is clearly the number one wide receiver in this class if you're not worried about the ACL. And we have seen this in past years where draft Twitter and mock drafts differ with the actual opinions of NFL front office people who make these decisions. And that could be another spot in this draft where there is a difference between mock drafts that are just assuming that teams won't take the guy who has the torn ACL currently. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned this on on my VEASAN show last night, actually, um, that, listen, Jamison Williams has a very real chance to be the number one overall pick because his upside is Tyreek Hill, right? Like, so he is number one overall receiver, you mean? Yeah, like, yes, as the number one as the number one receiver, he, okay, his yeah. upside is Tyreek Hill. And I think that there could be a team that looks at that and says, hey, I will take the shot that he could end up being Tyreek Hill, you know, that he could end up being that guy that just takes the top off of a defense left and right and creates all these massive plays all over the field. So I do not think that that is a strange take or crazy take at all. I wish the odds were a little bit better. Only four yeah. to one for a guy that is coming off of the one a week ago. So some yeah. people have bet this already. It's dropped from seven to one. So you're missed out on the best number already. Yeah, it's I wish the number was a little bit better, but, uh, you know, we will we'll certainly continue to monitor that as well. Guys, we'll have a full draft preview show next week, a week out from the draft. We hopefully will know some more stuff here over the course of the next week. Hopefully we'll be able to kind of piece together what we think is going on in this draft maybe get a couple more bets into our account, maybe try to make us some money in this thing. One final baseball note here, and this is um, this is something that I think that we need to, to take a look at, Stephen, as well, is just um, – we just need to take a look at, at at starting pitching in Major League Baseball. Yesterday, 28 starters, all 28 did not go longer than five and two-thirds innings. Um, nobody threw more than 89 pitches in a game as well. It could just be the shortened spring training. It could just be everybody being cautious here at the beginning of the season, but it's at least something you and I will will keep an eye on and try to help you know, the listeners and viewers and stuff like that as we move forward with everything, because if the if the league wide trend now is that pitchers are not going to go six innings, then us as betters need to start to try to figure out what that means for us as we go into approaching handicapping in baseball from a perspective. If if we know that the starter is not going to go six innings, it is almost a double handicap. Then at that point, it is no longer just trying to figure out what these hitters look like compared to the pitcher that's going to be on the hill. We are now going to have to double handicap what this bullpen looks like at all times, right? Like, yeah, we'd like to look for taxed bullpens or we like to look for bad bullpens and things like that. But at some point, we might have to handicap what a bullpen situation looks like every single day of the season if we're going to be getting four plus innings out of these guys every single week, every single game, I should say. I'll give everybody a real life example. As we record this on Wednesday, April 13th, the Mets and Phillies game in the afternoon was Max Scherzer versus Aaron Nola. And the the Mets were getting a pretty good price. I think you can get them like, you know, minus 110, minus 115, something like that. Uh, but with Max Scherzer maybe not going seven innings, you know, as he, you could wind up going that the game's going on as we record this right now. But to your point with pitchers overall not going that far. I opted to just take the first five inning price because mm -hmm. I know Max Scherzer is really good. I don't know how deep he's going to go into games. And I know Aaron Nola has been struggling for the better part of, you know, 18 months now. Yep. So 
um, just taking out that possibility of the Phillies amazing lineup beating up a Mets bullpen later in the game. Um, so, and as we record this, the Mets are up four, one in the fifth inning. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but perfect example of what we're talking about here to, uh, to try and take yeah. away that bullpen unknown. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Lazardo, um, Jesus Lazardo last night, another perfect example. And we'll, and we'll, we'll wrap this thing is just, you know, this guy five innings, 12 strikeouts, only 76 pitches. He gets yanked, Steven. They blow the three to one lead and, you know, the rest is history. But again, it's like the guy is absolutely dominating, absolutely cruising. 12 Ks through five innings, only 76 pitches thrown out of the game. They lose the lead or whatever. So again, it's just, it's things that we're going to monitor, but I wanted to at least bring up to you guys at home that maybe you can start monitoring this as well. Maybe this has become a full on league wide trend here. Maybe this is just an early season blip, but uh, something I wanted to at least put on the radar for everything. Live betting opportunities too, for that, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, as always, everything we do absolutely free. So every one of our platforms go in, subscribe, rate, review, whatever it might be. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Let us know in the comments what you want us to talk about on these podcasts, too, because we'll go ahead and do that. If you're on the audio version only, we appreciate the subscriptions. Uh, Rating and reviewing helps us climb the charts as well. And then if you're uh, over in the discord again, everything over there, absolutely free, including free contest to win free money. So be sure and be a part of that. If you want to follow Steven on the Twitter at Steven Anders one, you want to follow me at Matt Brown M two. Good luck on all your bets. 